Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast of Crossroads Community Church here in Nampa, Idaho. Here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership. Uh, we don't have Scott here with us today. It's just me, so we'll be coming to you with just a message today from Pastor Jim Halbert. Good morning. Okay. If you're listening online, good morning to you. Thank you for listening in with us. We're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 14 today. But before we get there, a few things I want to say. Just uh, you've been no doubt uh, moved by the events of this past week, especially yesterday. Dory has been in uh, Pittsburgh for 10 days studying the, the city and the ministries that are reaching the, the people of, of Pittsburgh. Uh, she comes back today, in fact, and... Uh, uh, she called me yesterday to say, you're going to hear the, something on the news. I just want you to know we're okay. We're all right. Um, but you saw the news yesterday of this horrific event in the Tree of Life Synagogue. Eleven people killed and six or more injured. And we, 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 we don't quite know what to do with that. Uh, we come off of a week where we have so much in the news with not just bombs and hatred. We, uh, we're, we're, we feel off-center as Americans, how, how hatred has gotten a hold of our heart in America. And, and I was struck yesterday that one of the men who was being interviewed after this tragic event at the Tree of Life Synagogue, he, he mentioned Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam when the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. Yep. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is a, a prophecy saying that no matter how bad things are getting, trust us, God is in charge and he wins. And somehow in the midst of the chaos, he will bring about his purpose. But our hearts are heavy, naturally so. And I'm reminded more than any time before Hatred ought not be what marks us as followers of Christ. Of any man, any person, any candidate, any, anybody. We are called to bring the good news, the gospel, Jesus, to this world. And in the midst of the chaos, God can bring hope. And that is what needs to be on our lips. We've been talking about Evangelion, the Greek word for good news or gospel. And we've determined through this whole time, not that we've determined, we've discovered that gospel is not a thing, it's a person. And his name is Jesus Christ, which means everything he says is good news. Everything he does, good news. Everywhere he goes, 
Good news. And today is no exception as we look at the 14th chapter of John. In fact, it begins with a tremendous phrase, let not your heart be troubled. How is it that Jesus knew <laughs> that our hearts would be troubled? How is it that he knew that before things become awesome, things are going to get really rough? Hmm. Judas is now gone. He has betrayed Jesus. Now Jesus is talking to the disciples who he will send into all the world. His true followers. But the truth of the matter is in this conversation that takes place between the dinner at Bethany and the cross, Jesus knows that these he's speaking to now who love him dearly, by the way, and who he loves will scatter they're going to make promises that they won't be able to keep. And they're going to end up in hiding when he needs them most. I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus, I don't think it would end so well for those guys. I might start with something like, you're fired. <sighs> but no. Nowhere in scripture do we see a response from Jesus like that to them. No, in fact, if you look at the restoration of Peter after he so miserably failed, in John 21, God, Jesus restores him and says, Peter, let's get, let's get, let's get it together, man. I got I to send you out in the world. The, the way it starts is Jesus is cooking breakfast on the beach for the boys. Now, there's something beautiful about that. I know that when I have failed, I'm expecting God to bring out the paddle. No, he's cooking breakfast. Come, sit down. How can he be so gracious? How can he be so merciful to us when we fail him so miserably at times? Well, that's who he is. And now Jesus is going to boil it down in the first 14 verses of chapter 14. He's going to basically say this, like a groom who is getting ready for his bride, I'm going to come back and get you. I'm going to bring you home. But, but, but let me tell you something. You already know the way to my father's house. I'm the way. But before you get there, let me tell you something. Even though I'm going to be gone physically, I'm going to be with you in spirit, and you're going to do greater things than I've done. So hang in there. Here we go. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Jesus is talking to his, to his disciples before <clears throat> he's arrested. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, the Selah Psalms are the Psalms that have this word Selah in the middle of them. The word Selah means to rest. It means to stop. It means to reflect on what was just said and prepare your heart for what is coming next. We don't have Selah scripture in the New Testament. But if we did, this would be an awesome place for a Selah. Let not your heart be troubled. Whew. Somebody needs to hear that today. There's more than enough room in my father's home. 
If it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Of course not. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, but Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, oi. <laughs> have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Huh. He starts off with this phrase, do not let your heart be troubled. Why? Because our hearts are troubled. When you look at the news, when you hear what's going on, if you watch the stock market, you can be filled with fear. In fact, fear sells. Do you know that? Fear is what gets you to stay tuned to the newscast through the commercials because they say, you're not going to believe what's coming next. <laughs> and you'll actually watch a dishwasher, a dishwashing liquid commercial. Because you're afraid if you don't hear it, right? Fear sells. Politicians, get your votes by telling you how horrible it will be if they don't get in. Then you put them in and you realize it's still horrible. Huh? Yeah. Sorry if you're running for office, I just am. Fear. Why? Well, fear can keep us from obeying, too. We're afraid we're going to lose. We're going to die. We're going to give away something that we'll never get back. And so we hoard. We grasp. We fear. And Jesus begins this amazing statement by saying, stop it. Stop it. Fear not. Don't let your heart be troubled. That, word, that phrase, don't let, it means you have actually something to do about it. Don't let it. Oh, you mean, I can, yeah, don't stop it. Why? And he goes on and talks about these, these things. You know, we were talking about this this week in, in our sermon prep meeting when everybody gets together and kind of tears the sermon apart. And Beth said this. She goes, you know, if I, if I talk to Jeff and I walk into the room and I say, don't freak out, but he will freak out. <laughs> Automatic fear. And she goes, isn't it interesting that Jesus starts this beautiful, beautiful passage with, don't freak out, but fear not. Why? Because he knows us. I got this. But the first thing he does is he says, 
I'm going to come back and get you someday. But I'm going to a place to prepare a place for you. Now, what we need to understand is that Jesus begins this discourse with betrothal language. What, 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 a, what, a, what a husband would say to a fiancé, a woman pledged to be married to him. Because when he says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you, this is the language of a groom. You see, in the ancient culture, first century culture, when you wanted to marry, I'm talking about from a man's perspective, when you wanted to marry a woman, you would go through a series of things and, and basically get her commitment to you that she indeed wants to marry you. Now, th just because that happens doesn't mean you're ready to get married. You have to go home to your father's house, who has, by the way, already given you approval if you've done this right. And the father gives you the approval because he says, okay, it's time for you to add a room on to the house for you and your bride. And now the father who owns the house is the one who's in charge. The son may do the work, but the father's going to make sure that it's done right. And until the father says, okay, it's done, the groom cannot go and get his bride. But once the father says, okay, the time is now, the son will go and get his bride. If you go back to Revelation and read the story of the second coming, you will see that language throughout there. Now, what we need to understand is first century culture homes. A typical first century Palestine home is basically a courtyard with rooms added on around. The courtyard is where they would hang the TV, okay? This is, this is, uh, this is where everybody hung out. But then you had your separate rooms where you had privacy, now, some of you are already hyperventilating at the thought of actually building a home, a room onto your parents' home and bringing your wife or husband there. Yeah, you're like, no, that's not going to happen, okay? But we need to understand that is what happened in first century culture, so this is the language that Jesus uses. Now, what we need to understand about that is it's different than the way we've imagined it, you know? I mean, look at the pictures of, of a reconstruction of what that would have been like. But in my father's house, there are many rooms versus I have a mansion just over the hilltop. Some of you young people are going, what is he doing? That's an old song. It really is. And we have this almost American imagery of when I get to heaven, I'm going to have my own mansion. And, you know, mansions are never on small lots. They're acreages, right? Why? Because we, are, we don't want anybody around us. I ain't the way it is. That's why, the, that's why heaven is not called the village of God or the town of God. It's called the city of God. How many of you have ever lived in the city? Okay, three of you. Great. Um, <laughs> you guys need to get out more. Okay. I grew up in L.A., lived in San Francisco. Let me tell you something. This is what it's like. But, you know, imagine that without the personality disorders and sin. Okay? That's, that's what we need to imagine. Heaven is this great room where the people of God celebrate together, and yet there is a separateness and a sense of individuality. That's what Jesus is describing here. He's describing literally what they understood. But he's describing it in the words that a groom would say to his bride. And we are the bride. The scripture says that we are the bride of Christ. We will be presented without spot or wrinkle. We sang the song this morning. You will have your bride. 
you women may have no problem with that. We men kind of struggle with that. But the fact of the matter is the scripture says that we are the bride of Christ. Yeah, we still have spots and we definitely have wrinkles. Something's going to happen between now and the day of the Lord that will prepare us, but he will have his bride. And he will come and he will bring us home. So this is the language that Jesus uses. But then he says this, if this were not so, I would not have told you this. The word in the Greek here, A, E, what we would call epsilon, E-I, is what it is, is it's a marker of condition. In other words, I'm not making up stories here to make you guys feel better. I'm not, I'm not creating some kind of a pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by imagery so you can, well, get through the tough times because someday Jesus is going to take us back. No, I'm actually telling you the truth because I don't lie. I am the way the truth. I'm telling you the truth. I'm actually going to come and bring you home. Huh. And the way home, you already know it. And that's when Philip and, and Thomas speak up and like, wow, Jesus, we, we, no, we don't. We, we don't. we don't get it. We, we don't know where the road is. Where are you going? And Jesus responds, you do know the way. I know I threw in a little oi there. I don't think he was frustrated. Jesus isn't angry at Philip and Thomas. He's clarifying. He's patient with our ignorance. Can anybody say amen to that? The more, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know much. An old pastor one time told me when I was a young pastor, when I graduated from seminary, I had a huge creed and a few opinions. Now I'm an old man. I have a lot of opinions and a small creed. Why? Hey, life. Which is always baffling to me when someone says, if I can't understand it, it must not be true. <laughs> really? Okay. Then there's a lot of things that are not true. Open the hood of your car. Engines aren't true, are they? I don't even know how to check the oil anymore. Hmm. Jesus said, you guys, I'm the way. The way. The word here is thoroughfare. But you, what you need to do is, you need to picture this, a thoroughfare between two centers. Literally, he says, I am the thoroughfare between two centers. Picture Nampa, picture Boise, Picture I-84 with all other roads closed off. The word here, thoroughfare, means I am not only the way, but the only way. There's no detours through CUNA. Or if you're new from out of state, CUNA. Um, <laughs> sorry. One way. The thoroughfare. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. 
He said, no one can come to the Father. This word come means to move toward or up to the Father. In other words, you can't even come into the presence of the Father except on this way, through me. And that word through is a marker or an intermediate agent. In other words, I am the one through which you go to get to the Father. Now, the early church fathers described the Godhead this way, the word perichoresis, two words. Uh, Choresis being, being uh, 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 choreography, it's, it's movement, it's, it's, you know, para or peri is, is this idea of, of, of connection and beside. So in other words, this, this is, you, you cannot describe the Father without talking about the Son and the Spirit. You can't describe the Son without talking about the Spirit and the Father. You can't describe the Spirit without talking about the Father and the Son. So what, what they realize is that there's no word for Trinity, of course, in the Bible, but, but the word is that God is one because he, you can't separate him out, and yet he has three personalities. That's why John, who wrote this book, said in the beginning, the, the, the word was with God, and the word was God, and in the 14th verse, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who? The word. Who was God? Who was with God? Who walked this earth? See, Jesus is God. Jesus isn't one of the three gods. We don't believe that. Now, now you're, you're saying, well, the, the, the Trinity is really hard for me to get a hold of. I get it. Me too. But what they understood is this. You, there's no other option. You can't separate them out. So therefore, Jesus is actually God. Which leads us to this conclusion. You cannot go around God to get to God. It is the Spirit who leads us to the Son who leads us to the Father's heart. And that's the only way there. Now, some people have said Jesus is being very narrow-minded here. Actually, maybe even arrogant to think that he's the only way. You know, um, some recent research done by the Pew Institute, the question was asked of Americans, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father? This might not surprise you that uh, 70% of Americans said no. We believe that there are many ways to God. What might surprise you is that those who were self-professing Christians, 65% said, no, he's not the only way. What will most likely shock you is that they asked evangelical Christians the same question. In fact, we're not satisfied with the answer. Went back, asked it again, and clarified to make sure that they understood what the question was, and they got the same result that 56% of evangelical Christians said, no, Jesus isn't the only way to the Father. Hmm. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Who's telling the truth? In fact, we want there to be many ways because we love. We, we don't want people to not find the Father, do we? 
So we want to make exceptions. But we have to deal with what Jesus just said about himself. That he's the thoroughfare between two centers. The only one. You know, in the, in the first century, there's one, what he was early on called an early church father, Origen. He said, because God is so loving, all of everything else just, just dissolves. So therefore, everybody's going to be saved, including Satan. And the early church got together and they called that heresy. In other words, not true. Not scriptural. And for for 2,000 years, that's been the case. You see, what happens is we are in a pluralistic culture. We have to be. America is built on pluralism. You cannot have a democracy uh, 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 republic by demanding everybody act and think alike. That's a theocracy. So in other words, we, we, we practice this idea that you can be unique, you can be different, you can have your own religion, you can have, but we can come to the table and make decisions that, are the, that, that, that help the whole and, and all of us move forward. And for almost 300 years, it's worked fairly well. We've had our hiccups and we're definitely having some indigestion right now. But you see, we live in a culture of of. Pluralism. In, 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 in essence, pluralism says you don't have to be like me for me to like you. And actually, if God so loved the world, there's a lot of people that don't know him and love him, and yet he loves. And so for me to sit down with somebody who is diametrically opposed to everything I believe is actually a good thing if I'm strong in my faith. I can listen, I can ask questions, I can get to know their heart. How else would they ever witness the power of Christ? Pluralism at its root is basically we want everybody to come together. And so we've allowed that to creep into our theology. We've emphasized the love of God and we've forgot about justice. We forgot about so many other things that also make up the character of God. We can't pick and choose. Jesus is being very, very clear here. He is the way. See, the pluralism of culture has crept into the church when less than half of those who call themselves Christians believe that Jesus is the only way of the Father. We're left with a majority who do not believe Jesus' own words that he is the only way. And people say, well, I, I can't go to a church that, that believes that. I, I understand. I didn't say it, though. Jesus did it. And with that in mind, I asked the question, did, maybe, maybe we, <laughs> we must have misinterpreted this. Clearly, he didn't really believe this. And then I, I ran across verses like this. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. Come, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe the one he sent. 
Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. He went on to say, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the very light of life. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives, uh, who, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. I look at that and I say that that's good news. Unless you think there ought to be more ways. This truth is not a reason for us to boast. It is so we understand how important it is to let others know the good news that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's not to hold over other people. It's not to be arrogant. No, I, I like the, the quote from Dennis Hollinger uh, from Gordon Conwell. He's, he said, what, what we do know is that Jesus, the apostles, and the historic church, in all its variations, have affirmed that Jesus is the only true way to God. And it only makes sense that if a person didn't want Jesus as Savior and Lord on this earth, they would hardly want to spend forever with him. Listen to that last sentence. To affirm the uniqueness of Christ for salvation is not cause for arrogance and boasting. In fact, scripturally, it is exactly the opposite. Our salvation has nothing to do with our attainments, our efforts, and native beliefs. In salvation, we do not find God through our own ingenuity. Rather, God finds us. We respond to his loving mercy in Christ as evidenced on the cross. The embrace of Christ as Savior and Lord can never be touted as cause for human triumph, smugness, or self-assertion. It is not a sign of our superiority or cause for triumphalistic efforts in society. That's a great word. This isn't something to, to be arrogant about or to boast about. It is something, though, to have your heart broken over. Jesus was really clear. You know the way. I'm the way. You've seen the Father. You know him because you know me. You've observed. You've experienced me. And then he says some amazing stuff. Now, I'm going. And like a groom who comes back to get his bride, I'm going to come back and get you. But the reason I told you not to be afraid is because there's going to be a period of time between now and that moment. And I want to tell you what it's going to be like. Because whoever does believe will do the same things I did and even greater things. Greater. The word in the Greek is megas. Mega. Mega millions. Didn't they just have a big mega millions? It was like what? $1.56 billion. Guy takes a one-time payoff, only gets like $800 million. What a ripoff. <laughs> what can you do with $800 million? 
We think of mega as like awesome, huge, better, way cooler. That's not what the word actually means though. When he says mega, you will do greater things. The word, in fact, it means intense. It means in, in, it's an implication of importance. Not cooler, not more spectacular. It, it, it's not in quality, but in impact. In other words, the things that you do are going to have a great impact. And what happened? When the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, they began to have a holy boldness that they had not had before. And they began to take the gospel. And if you look at what Jesus said to them on, uh, in Matthew 28, where it says, go into all the world, they did exactly that. And they went into Europe, into Asia, into Africa, and they planted churches. And the church began to uh, spread throughout the world. They did greater things, see. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to work in you and through you because I'll be in heaven. My spirit will enable you to do this. You're going to, you're going to do things that you can't imagine. He, he's not saying we're going to do cooler, more spectacular miracles than he did. But let me just say this. I do believe that we will still do miracles, I, I do not believe in, in, in that the Holy Spirit works in certain ways at certain times and we can tell him when. No, we can't tell God what to do or when to do it. God does what he wants. Have you noticed that? And he can still work in you and through you in ways that look just like the New Testament. I still believe in healings. Does everybody get healed that I pray for? No. Have there been people healed by people's other, uh, other people's prayers? Yes. Yes. But that's not the greater. Th it's, it's, it's that and more. You see, we're going to do the same thing he did, but with great power and impact because of his spirit at work within us. See. So in other words, there will be supernatural results from what we consider natural actions. We're going to just be doing life. We're having conversations. We're just, you know, encouraging people, maybe praying for people. We have no idea what is going on internally in their hearts. We just thought it was no big deal. We just did this or we just said this and we walk away. We may never know and God just began to do a work. And that person's life and the trajectory of their life begin to change. We're clueless. Are just common actions through the power of the Spirit, become uncommon and supernatural. That's what Jesus means. When the presence of Christ fills you, he doesn't just fill you to change you, he changes you so he can use you too. But you're not always going to know how you're being used. You just trust him. Every conversation counts. Every action. Not hocus pocus, not cool new skills. You see, the power of God shows up and he, he, he prepares hearts to hear the proclamation of the truth. And when people hear that, they, they, they change and, it, and it, it grows the body of Christ. I put it this way, power precedes the proclamation resulting in the growth of the church's population. See, this is supernatural. We don't grow the church, God grows the church. We just do what we're called to do. And that's what he's saying. And then he says, it's in this context. Understanding this, ask anything in my name and I'll do it for you. We like to lift that verse out of this context. We like to say, see, Jesus said, ask for anything. I want a new car. 
Now, I've, I've always said this. I had a 16-year-old son who uh, was driving, and I had a Ford Bronco, one of the old styles. So if you're a car guy, you're like, oh, you sold it? Yeah, I know, I'm dumb. Um, <laughs> no top on it. And I made the mistake of telling him he could drive that V8. One of my good friends who was a cop said, hey, yeah, I saw Zach flying through town. I bought him an old Honda Civic. <laughs> Why? Because I love him. Right? Dad, I want the fast one. Yeah, I know. I love you too much to give that to you. Right? Here, have this. It doesn't run. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Why? I love him. God's not going to give me everything I want. It's in the context of knowing the Father's heart. Believing that he is the way and that his plan and agenda is to love the world. It's understanding that. It's having a my heart break for, what, break for what breaks his. It's in that context that I pray and ask. See, What are you asking God for? I'll tell you one of the things I've been asking. I, every time I pass that building out there on the, on the hill right over the freeway, I say, Lord, just want to remind you that We'd love to have that unless you have something better for us. That's my prayer, unapologetically. And it's occurred to me, though, that as if our goal is just to go out there and be happy and just get big, he doesn't care about that. He didn't give a hang about that. What he cares about is if we're doing the work that he's called us to do. Are we reaching the city in this valley in ways that actually makes a difference? Are we ministering to the needs of people at all levels of life? If we're not, then we really don't belong at an intersection of influence. Because if God's gonna place his children at an intersection of influence, they better use that intersection to influence. Right? And then we begin to ask in that context, knowing his heart, and God begins to answer because our heart is for him and our heart is for the people he loves. See? Yeah. First John says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. How did Jesus live his life? To glorify God. That's it. That's our goal. If Jesus' goal was to glorify the Father, then our goal is the same. And our prayers are said in that context. Lord, we're not asking you to glorify Crossroads. We're not asking you to glorify a pastor or a, or a denomination or a program or, or, or a human agenda or our plans or our desires. We're asking that you glorify your name through us. Would you open our eyes to see what you see? And would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? That's it. So what do we do with all this? Well, our society is pluralistic. But there's a singular way to God. This is good news, though. We don't bully people with that. We share that Jesus has provided this amazing way, and it's through grace and forgiveness through faith. We can't earn it. He did it for us. That's wonderful news. Jesus, who is God, is not someone to go around. He's the one we go through to reach the Father's heart. Let's be clear, folks. 
if he's gonna trust you and trust me to reach people who need to know him, we better know what we believe. And we better be confident because we know the truth. Otherwise, we will be blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine and philosophy of the day. Our love for God and others drives us to share this good news. He'll take us home someday, but for now, we're gonna do greater things. But he's gonna work mightily in us and mightily through us as we seek to do his will. But we need to be asking, folks, are we asking for him to glorify his name? Do we want him to make himself known here in the valley? To enable us to meet the needs that open hearts to the truth, to put us at the intersection of influence so that we can be an influence at that intersection? This is good news. He will enable us to do just that. He'll fulfill our simple acts that come from faith. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm aware that as we consider this passage that there are some here who perhaps have never trusted their lives to Christ. And can I just say the abundant life that he wants for you is beyond your imagination. Not just eternal life, abundant life now. A life of hope and purpose and joy. Do you know that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that if you confess your sins, the sin that has separated you from God, and you believe in your heart that he indeed is the way, the truth, the life, you will be saved. You can't earn it. You don't have to clean up to come to God. You just come to God, he'll clean you up. He wants you just as you are. But he wants to work in you and through you. Right now, you can say, thank you, Jesus. I want just that. So Lord, you know our hearts, you know our concerns. And we do collectively, we pray for those who have been so tragically hurt by all of this stuff in Pittsburgh. We just pray for the families. But Lord, as we look about this world, we know that your heart breaks and yet you work in us and through us. And so Lord, would you use us as light? Would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Would you give us a love that we can't even understand? Would you help us know that you are Lord and Savior and the way to the Father's heart? Do a work in our lives, we pray. And all of God's people said. What God wants to do in the world, he will do it through people. Through people who believe that he is Lord. Go and do his work. God bless you. Another great message from Pastor Jim Halbert. Thank you for joining us today. Have a great week.